Take your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we are so delighted to have you in the Lord's house today. Thank you for coming and being a part of our service. John chapter 14 in your Bibles. And when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. That was wonderful, man. If that encouraged anybody, man, it lit my fire. Hallelujah. God is good. How many are looking forward to heaven? Amen. Me too. Might be today. We may leave today. Today may be the day. Let's see. November the 6th, 2022 may have been the day that God knew all along was going to be the day that he would come. Could be today. And I hope he does come. You won't have to worry about voting if he comes today. (laughs) They won't vote him in. And they're not going to impeach him. And he's not going to resign. Amen. Well, let's get into our message today. John 14, verse number one. Don't you love this place? John 14, verse one. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. You may be seated this morning. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes today on this subject, let not your heart be troubled. I'm only going to preach this once, but God gave it to me twice. And uh, I had this message. God had been dealing with my heart about this passage, and, um, and I had put together a little outline that I was going to preach uh, this, uh, this morning, and uh, later in the week, God changed my direction. I'm going to use the same title, but different message, and uh, God totally rearranged this message, and, and so that first outline, um, it went out, and God gave me this second outline, and so I hope it'll be a help to you. Let not your heart be troubled. And let's go to the Lord. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your blessings. My, oh my, what a joy to be in this place. What a blessing, Lord, to come to a place where we can be encouraged, where we can be reminded that, Lord, this is not it. This is not the end. Lord, you have prepared us a place And uh, Father, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I pray that you'll knit our hearts together, Heavenly Father, as a family, as you've done many times. And God, I pray that our minds will be open and receptive. And I pray that, Lord, that a truth will go out today and that it will lodge in our hearts and minds a truth that will literally change us forever. God, especially that one here today that doesn't know for sure they're on their way to heaven. Lord, they might be religious, they might be the member of a church, they might be a good person, they might be socially active, but Lord, they don't know that they 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 know that they're going to heaven. And I pray today that's about to change. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage that one that might be discouraged or depressed, that one that's heavy hearted because they've lost a loved one Lord, I pray you'd remind us of this place today. And Lord, just come now. Holy Spirit, breathe upon us. 
and all that's done, I pray, would honor Christ and glorify him. We love you. We praise you. We ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, we do pray these things and ask it for his sake. Amen and amen. Interesting. Christ says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. It's how John 14, 1 begins. But there's something that, that we didn't show you today. The Lord Jesus not only said that once, but he actually extends this challenge twice in the same chapter. And I've read this chapter many times through the years, but for some reason I never, uh, God never really drew my attention to that. We always seem to focus on John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. But also, once again, in verse number 27, the Lord says it again. Verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he says it again, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ gives this challenge to his disciples in part because as soon as he finishes this last teaching session, the enemy will come to take him. You see, by the time we get to John chapter 14, the cross has been in the faint distance, but now it's very clearly in view. In fact, if you study this out, as he's teaching this last class, which is what he's doing here in John 14, he's speaking to his disciples, and as he's teaching this last class, the enemy is literally, at the exact same time, the enemy is gathering their forces with plans to come and to take him away. In fact, it's in chapter 14 that we find the Lord Jesus Christ teaching, and just four chapters later, we find the Lord Jesus Christ taken. And so this is it. Right after this, right after John 14, they come. The Lord Jesus Christ leads his disciples to the garden, and right after that, we find Judas and those coming from the temple to take the Lord Jesus Christ away. You see, there's something that Jesus knows. Jesus knows that troubling times are about to come for his disciples and these are men that he cares very deeply for and right at the brink of problems and burdens and storms, he challenges them not to be troubled. That word troubled in John 14, 1 is a word that means agitated or restless. And so he says to his disciples, in essence, fellas, trouble's getting ready to come. It's on the horizon. <laughs> it's already on its way. You, you don't know that. I know that you don't know that. But as trouble comes, I want to encourage you, don't be restless. Don't be agitated. But I love this church. What was his remedy for their potential restlessness and anxiety? And this was it. He is coming again. That was his answer. Guys, trouble is almost here it's getting ready to knock on the door, but let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because I'm going away. But that's not all of the story. I'm coming again. In fact, in both instances, this is what he reminds them of. Look at it again, if you will. In John 14, verse number one, 
Jesus says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. So he says, guys, let not your heart be troubled. And then he reminds them, I'm coming. But then skip over to John 14, verse number 27. He says here, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he says it again, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. Hey, can I remind us this morning that this appeal is not just to these 12 disciples, but this, this appeal is to you and me as well. In fact, listen to what our Lord said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. How about Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, where Jesus said this, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And how about 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7? Where Jesus said, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Realistically, how in the world could the Lord Jesus Christ challenge us not to let our hearts be troubled uh, when there seems to be so much trouble on the horizon? Now, we're not living when the disciples live, but I'm gonna be honest with you. When the Lord Jesus Christ gave them this challenge, he knew that trouble was just outside the gate. And I really believe that this is a challenge that is, that is offered up to every one of us here today. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't have that spirit of fear. Don't be anxious. Don't be careful. Be careful for nothing. Don't be worried. Don't be fretting. Don't be discouraged. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, somebody says, preacher, how in the world could the Lord Jesus Christ ask us not to be troubled when there seems like there's so much to be troubled about? For instance, there's agitation and restlessness when it comes to politics. And boy, this is fitting because we vote Tuesday. And I hope you get out. I hope you vote. You say, preacher, it don't matter. Yes, it does. I hope you get out and you vote what the Lord tells you to vote. But we have restlessness in politics today. Politicians are speaking out of both sides of their mouth. And you know what I'm talking about. I, I mean, honestly, has anybody else listened? Am I the only one? Am I the only one watches, that watches the news and thinks, man, that don't even make sense? It don't even make sense. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm pretty rational-minded, you know, and, and, and yet I watch the news and I hear what's going on on, the, on, Capitol, on Capitol Hill and I, I see the laws and I see the bills and I see these things that they're doing. And in my mind, and I know I'm not as smart as some of you are, please don't say amen right there, but I, I know that I'm not as smart as some of you are and not as intelligent and, and not, I'm not an intellectual like some of you are, but I'm gonna be honest, sometimes I have to just scratch my head and say, man, that don't even make any sense. Listen, would you tell me if this makes sense? How is it that we have politicians in Washington that are promoting the killing of babies and the saving of criminals? And I, and I see that and I'm thinking, wait a minute. That, that don't even go together. How can, you be, how can you be campaigning 
to kill the baby and save the whale and save the sea turtle and save the brown owl and kill all the little boys and girls. That don't even make a lick of sense. Listen, I'm talking about I'm talking about politicians that are campaigning for using taxpayer money for what they're calling gender reassignment. You say, Pastor, don't get on that. Too late. I got a question. What's that? You say, no, I know. I know what it is. But what is it? Does that even make sense? I mean, we have parents nowadays that are telling their five-year-olds that you're not really a boy, you're not really a girl, that you need to change, that you need to do this. I'm telling you, friend, we are so mixed up. Listen, they want us to believe that a 60-year-old man who puts on rouge and lipstick and false eyelashes and stockings and wears a wig and a dress is absolutely, perfectly normal. Somebody help me. Friend, I'm I'm here to tell you, there's nothing normal about that. That is absolutely as abnormal as it gets. And yet we have politicians and we have people that are trying to tell our young people that it's right, that you've got to tolerate it, that you've got to accept it, that it's the new normal. I'm telling you, it is not the new normal. It is abhorrent. It's, amen, it's abomination in the sight of a holy God. And yet I'm telling you, that's where we are in America. Passing legislation. So those who won't work make more. And those who are willing to work make less. Now, I'm just saying there's agitation, restlessness. There's restlessness when it comes to politics. There's restlessness when it comes to pestilence. COVID-19, man, who would have thought we'd still be talking about COVID-19? I mean, whatever, however long it is. How long has it been? 23 years? But, but anyway, uh, it seems like it. Two or three years, whatever it's been. And yet here we are today, and man, we're still talking about coronavirus. We're still talking about COVID-19. You know, we, we find out that the vaccine isn't the big fix. That mask don't seem to be working like they thought they were supposed to work. That our hospitals seem to be at absolute capacity. And there's not enough nurses or doctors to go around for the patients that are coming in. You, you say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying there's restlessness when it comes to politics and there's restlessness when it comes to pestilence. There's rest restlessness when it comes to perversion. Sexual immorality seems to be running rampant. If you don't believe it, listen to the Sunday school lesson that I taught at 10 o'clock or 9.45. There's restlessness when it comes to politics and perversion and pestilence. There's restlessness when it comes to problems. It's everywhere. Now we have North Korea firing missiles close to South Korea and even close to some of our American vessels. Russia's invading Ukraine. Illegal aliens, which by the way, we don't know who's in our country now. Illegal aliens are funneling over the border by the thousands, not the hundreds, but by the thousands. And if you think for a half a second that it's just Mexicans, you're wrong, friend. The stock market is up and down. Businesses are failing. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. 
And we're thinking, what? And Jesus says in the midst of problems and in the midst of what could be potential agitation and restlessness and when you're tempted to get all bent out of shape, the Lord Jesus Christ says, let not your heart, Calvary, let not your heart be troubled. And somebody says, preacher, how, how? What's the answer? Here's the answer. Jesus said, I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> I'm, listen, if I wasn't coming, you better get stirred up. But Jesus said, I am coming. Now let me give you a few things today about his coming. How about this? Number one, when is he coming? When is he coming? That's what everybody wants to know. When is he coming? Well, I do believe this. I believe he's coming soon. I believe he's coming soon. Now take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn over to Matthew 24 very quickly with me. And we're not gonna stay here very long, but just a moment. Matthew chapter 24 in your Bibles. And I want you to look, if you will, at verse number six with me. And I wanna read a little bit of scripture. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number six. First book in your New Testament there, Matthew 24 and verse number six. The Bible says, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, Matthew 24 skip down to verse number 33 if you will and Jesus said this so likewise ye when ye shall see all these things know that it is near even at the door now hang on just a minute doctrinally speaking I know you say preacher in its context that's what we call the Olivet Discourse you're exactly right about that the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching and he's teaching about the second coming of Christ and he's not talking about the rapture there he's talking about the second coming of Christ but the Lord Jesus Christ says that when that day gets close, when, when I'm getting ready to come and set up my kingdom on the earth, not my millennial kingdom on the earth, at the end of the tribulation period, he said, these things are going to be happening. Now, I just said all that to say this. I'm not trying to tell you necessarily that's a sign, but I would say this. It would at least appear that some of those, some of those things are in the beginning stages that we're even, even already, we're beginning to see some of those things come to pass. Years ago when my wife, my wife and I have uh, three children, one in heaven, and, uh, but when we, uh, when, when we had our uh, first child, Zachary, my wife had something called Braxton Hicks contractions. And now you ladies know what that, that is. That's sort of the contractions before the contractions. That's the, that's the uh, uh, they call it a false contraction, I think. And uh, it's false labor. In other words, you're not ready. You're not ready to deliver. But you know what ha what's happening? Your body is getting ready. It's getting ready. It's getting yourself ready. And so you begin to have those, those false labor pains. You begin to have those, those Braxton Hicks contractions, which is saying, hey, it's not here. It's not time, but it's getting closer. You know what I believe that in Calvary? I believe that in 2022, beyond any shadow of a doubt, I believe that we are seeing the Braxton Hicks contractions of the coming of the Lord. 
I believe that Christ, is, I listen, I believe the stage, I, I believe literally the stage is being set and Jesus is about to come. I believe he's coming. And my question to you is this, are you ready? If Jesus came today, and he could, if Jesus came today, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before Christ? You say, preacher, I'm not ready. Well, thank God you're here today because you can be before you leave. So when is he coming? Hey, how about this? Number two, how is he coming? Well, for the rapture of the church, our Bible tells us he's returning in the air to call us away. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 17 says it like this. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then the Bible says this, wherefore comfort one another with these words. In other words, let not your heart be troubled. Why he's coming. That's what he's saying. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so the rapture of the church is going to come and those that are born again are going into the air to meet the Lord. After that time, we will face what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment seat, we will stand before a holy and a righteous God and we will answer, not for our sins, if you're a believer, but you'll answer for your works. You'll answer for what you've done for Christ or what you haven't done or why you did what you did. And it's at that judgment seat of Christ that we'll have uh, rewards and we'll gain rewards, but we may lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible tells us that at the end of this time that Christ will return to the earth and he'll set up his millennial kingdom. And for 1,000 years, he will rule and reign on this earth. And so when is he coming? How is he coming? But this is what I wanna to talk to you about today. Why is he coming? Why is Jesus coming? And here's one of the reasons. Because the Bible says he has prepared us a place to spend eternity with him. Look back at it again. Look, John 14, one last time. Look back at John 14 and verse number one. And the Bible says about this place, John 14, verse one, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. You say, Brother Pope, you don't even know what I'm going through. Preacher, you don't know what I'm facing right now. Pastor, you don't understand the storm. You don't understand the, the weight of the burden. You don't understand the deepness of the valley. Preacher, you have no, you, you, you have no idea. And you're probably exactly right. Uh, it would probably scare us to death if we knew the scope of all the problems and the burdens that are in this room today. But, but, but Calvary, here's what I came to tell you today. And this is what Jesus wanted me to tell you. Hey, he's coming. He's coming. And I know you've got burdens and I know you've got cares and I know you've got broken hearts and I know you've got heaviness and I know you've got 
of sorrow, but I got good news. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Now, you know what that means? That means that one of these days, we're going to leave it all behind. Amen. I'm telling you, Brother Ronnie, we're going to leave the cancer behind. We're going to leave the dementia behind. We're going to leave the Alzheimer's behind. We're going to leave the baby caskets behind. We're going to leave the hospitals. All these things are going to be behind us. And hey, forevermore, we're going to live and we're going to love with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, what about this place? What about this place? How about this? I want you to notice the preparation of the place. Look at John 14, verse two. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And so get this now, John 14. When Jesus spoke this, his going was coming in just a few hours. In other words, in other words, when the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching Luke, uh, or John 14 to his disciples, you know what he knew? It would just pretty much be a matter of hours. And they were going to crucify him. And Jesus was going to be placed in a borrowed tomb, and he was going to stay there for three days and three nights. And then a little bit later, he's going to heaven. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Hey, this is first century Christianity. Now, you say, preacher, not following you. Hang, hang, hang with me. Did you know that Christ created everything that you enjoy on this earth? Jesus had a part in that. In other words, we had some of our folks who recently went to Yellowstone National Park. Some of you have been there. And they came back and they thought, oh, you wouldn't believe it. It's just absolutely, it's breathtaking. I mean, just one of the most beautiful places. And everybody I talk to who's been there says the same thing. Man, just absolutely, just absolutely gorgeous. Do you understand that Jesus created that in six days? I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the splendor of the Hawaiian Islands. Many years ago, my wife and I went on an anniversary trip to, to Maui. And I'm telling you, man, I know why they call it paradise. I mean, it's absolutely, it's just, it's out of this world beautiful. You understand that Jesus created that in six days? Some of you have been in Northern California and you've visited the Redwood Forest and boy, you've made your way through there and, and boy, you're just in absolute wonder or maybe the awe of Alaska or maybe the majesty of Niagara Falls or maybe the vastness of, uh, uh, of the Grand Canyon or maybe the eerie beauty of the Amazon jungle, or maybe the greatness of the Mississippi River. And this is what I'm saying. Do you know that Jesus created that in six days? And then he rested. It's a big deal. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> because that means for over 2,000 years, he's been working on heaven. We sing a song like Sweet Beulah Land and Jesus says, if you only knew. <laughs> Man, if you only knew, you don't want to repeat that course again. I mean, if you only knew how sweet it's going to be. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has been up there fine tuning and doing the finishing touches on it. And I don't know when he's coming, but I believe it's soon. And I'm telling you, my dear friends, one of these days when we walk into that place, I'm telling you, if you didn't have a glorified body, you couldn't stand it. 
And so we see the preparation. I'll tell you something else. Number two, we see the people. The people of the place. Look at John 14, 3. Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for who? For you. I will come again and receive who? You unto myself, that where I am there, who? Ye. Maybe also this place is not just for anybody. This place is only for those who believe. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus. John chapter one, verse number 12 says it like this, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Church, listen to me now, and we're just about done, but hang in there with me. I wish I could stand here before you today and tell you everybody's going to heaven but everybody's not going. You say, Pastor, he's, 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 one of the, he, he's a good old boy. Being a good old boy don't take you to heaven. Well, you say, Pastor, he's a charter member of the Baptist church. Well, being a charter member of the Baptist church doesn't take you to heaven either. You can be the most dedicated Baptist and the most devout Catholic or you can be the most spirit-filled Pentecostal, but I'm telling you, none of those things are gonna take you to heaven. It's coming to that place where you realize you're lost and undone. Without Jesus Christ, you realize you're a sinner that cannot do anything on your own. You cannot save yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. You cannot change yourself, but if you're willing to come to him, hallelujah, he can do what you can't do. And not only will he save you, but he'll take you to this place called heaven. And so we notice, we notice today the preparation and the people were done today. But look at this church. Can I use this word? Is that all right? We notice the poshness. The poshness of the place. Look at verse two. John 14, two. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, there are a lot of people trying to change that. And they say, well, it doesn't mean mansions, it means rooms. And I want to say to them very kindly, keep your hands off my Bible. Well, it means rooms. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I love to do word studies. I really do. I love to do word studies. And I studied this word mansions. I studied out. It's the Greek word moni, and it does not mean a room. It's not there. It does not mean that. You say, well, preacher, Dr. Bottlestopper said, I can't help what Dr. Bottlestopper said. I'm telling you what Jesus said, amen. It, is, it means a staying. It means an abode, a mansion. And so what I'm telling you is this, what the Bible says, the Bible means. And Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. I looked, up, I looked it up in Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and the word mansion means a large, imposing residence. What's your point, Pastor? My point is this, that heaven is a place of mansions. It's a place of splendor. It's a place of magnificence. Now, I love Union Grove, but I'm telling you, church, heaven is not going to look like Union Grove. It's not gonna look like Hawaii. It's not gonna look like Yellowstone. I'm telling you, Yellowstone National Park's gonna look like Death Valley compared to heaven. It's gonna be absolutely splendorous. Several years ago, 
when my wife and I had went out to, to visit with our kids in Los Angeles, they had learned their way around a little bit. And Zach said, Dad, he said, I got a place I want to take you. He knew I was a big Andy Griffith fan. We love Andy Griffith. I have to have my Barney fix almost every single day. But, I, but I, he knew he loved Andy Griffith. And he said, Dad, I want to take you to Franklin Canyon Park. Franklin Canyon Park, just right outside of Hollywood. And, uh, and it didn't ring a bell with me. I didn't know what it was. He said, Dad, he said, at Franklin Canyon Park, he said, there's a, little, there's a reservoir, a water reservoir there. He said, this is the spot where Andy and Opie walk down the path and Opie picks up a rock and he throws the rock into the pond. And I thought, man, I'm in, let's go, yeah. And so we did, we took off for Franklin Canyon Park. And I'm gonna be honest, it's not like super, super nice. There's some picnic tables and stuff down there, a lot of pine trees and it's dusty. You know, a lot of, Los Angeles is dusty. And we made our way, not even down a really good road. It was, I think it was paved, but we made our, our way down a little curvy road and had some potholes. And uh, if you fell off the edges, you know, get, get a little dangerous. And anyway, we finally got down to Franklin uh, Canyon Park and we, we walked and walked around the, the pond and we went to the spot there where Andy and Opie were. And it was just neat, man. I mean, we took some pictures and it was, it was neat. There was one way into Franklin Canyon Park and there was only... One other way out. There was only one other way out. And Zach, just being Zach, said, Dad, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's take this other exit out. It was not paved. It was all dirt. It was like a little one-lane road. And if you, we didn't meet very many people, but if you met anybody coming the other direction, you had to pull way over the side of the road so they could just barely get by you. It was just wilderness, pretty much just wilderness, no bathrooms, no stops, no gas stations, and we're just going down this winding dirt road and not seeing hardly a soul. Uh, and, uh, and I'm thinking, where in the world have you taken us? And we get way down and finally get down to the end of this little road. I don't even know what the name of it was, but when we came out of this road, we came out into a community called Cold Water Canyon. Coldwater Canyon. Coldwater Canyon is a, is a suburb of Beverly Hills, California. We came out of the wilderness. We came off the dirt road. I mean, came out of nowhere, and we came out right smack dab in the middle of Coldwater Canyon. What's that big deal? Yeah, you talk about some of those richest people in the world live in Coldwater Canyon. I'm talking about mansions, friend. I'm telling you, I'm talking about mansions that will blow your mind. I'm talking about people that have mansions on the side of the mountains that have full-size tennis courts and full-size basketball courts built out over the side of the mountain. I mean, like something you'd see in the Olympics. And I remember we drove up in the mountain. Most of those driveways are gated, of course, but we drove up in the mountains there just to look and we were just literally, our mouth was just, our mouth was just hanging open because of the, the awe, the awesomeness of this place. Church, listen to me. You understand that heaven's gonna be so great that those homes, those beautiful homes in Coldwater Canyon won't even amount to an outhouse in Union Grove. You say, preacher, you're making this up. No, I'm not making it up. 
You understand that Jesus has been away for 2,000 years and he's been polishing and he's been, he's been creating and he's been working and, and he, listen, do you know why Jesus is so excited about you coming home? Because he's got a place that's gonna knock your ever-loving socks off. And so Jesus comes and says, let not your heart be troubled. Lord, how in the world I'm coming. I'm coming. Oh, I know you've got burdens. I know you've got problems. I know you've got cares. I know you've got dilemma. But don't be agitated. And do your best not to be restless because I'm coming. And if you knew what I had prepared for you, you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. Old story. Professional golfer was contacted by a Saudi prince somewhere over in Middle East, Saudi Arabia, somewhere over there. This Saudi prince lived in absolute, I'm talking about absolute luxury. I'm not talking about millions, I'm talking about billions. Big, gigantic palaces and servants and waiters and I mean, you, you name it, beautiful cars, swimming pools, and all that kind of thing. And he loved to play golf. And so he reached out to this professional golfer, this PGA golfer, and he said, listen, he said, I, I've been following you on the PGA circuit, and he said, I'd like you to come over, and I want to, I want to play a round of golf with you. He said, I'll send my private jet to America, pick you up, bring you to my home, pay for everything, put you up in a very nice place, and so, sure enough, so the PGA player said, well, okay, yeah, we'll do that. So sure enough, Saudi Prince sends his private jet to America, picks up the pro golfer, carries him back to his own country. They play around the golf, puts him in a beautiful, absolutely beautiful, beautiful place. And, uh, and anyway, they play uh, several rounds of golf and they get done. And the Saudi Prince says, uh, thank you so much for coming over and playing golf with me. It means so much. And I want to do something to show my appreciation. And the golfer said, man, you flew me over here in your private jet. You put me up in a palace. I mean, you took care of me and dined me and fed me. And, and, and the Saudi prince said, no, no, no. said, I, want, I, I must show my appreciation. I want to do something for you. And the golfer said, no, no. He said, I, I'm, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't relent. So finally, the golfer said, well, okay, uh, all right. He said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, he said, I collect golf clubs. He said, just send me a golf club. And the Saudi prince said, yes, sir. So he got back on this guy's jet, flew him back home. Weeks passed, weeks passed. That golf club never came, never came, never came. That golfer was wondering, what kind of golf club will it be? Man, I'm gonna put it in my collection. Maybe it'll be pure gold. Maybe it'll be diamond studded. Maybe it'll have, you know, camel hide grip. Or, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. He was, he was just thinking. But weeks passed, weeks passed, and it never came. And he thought, well, maybe he forgot about it. And then a little bit later, all of a sudden, when he went to check the mail one day, it was a brown envelope. And it was addressed from over in the Middle East. And he thought, well, this is... The guy I played golf with, but this is not a golf club. 
And he opened up the envelope and there was a little letter in there from the Saudi prince that said, thank you for coming over and playing golf with me. It meant the world to me. It took me just a few weeks, but here's your golf club. No, not golf club, golf club. I'm talking about fairways, fountains, greens, clubhouses, golf carts, irrigation systems, sand traps. The PGA golfer was thinking golf club. The Saudi prince was thinking golf club. When we think about heaven, a lot of times we think about heaven. And Jesus says, oh no. Heaven. Heaven. And so that's why he comes and says, I know you got problems but let not your heart be troubled. Why? I'm coming. I'm coming. And when I come, I'm taking you home with me. Let's bow our heads. Father, wow. Wow. What a God. What a God. What a future. What a blessed hope. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can find comfort in troubling times. Thank you that we can rest in restless times because you're coming. You're coming. You promised you would. And when you come, you're taking us home to that place that you have prepared. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many are here this morning? And you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond any shadow of any doubt, Pastor, I know that I am saved and on my, on my way to heaven, if that's you, as a testimony to the grace of God. You just slip your hand up. You'd say, Pastor, it's me. I know I'm saved. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You can lower your hands. Let me ask you this though. Come on now. Come on. I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest with me. How many are here today? You'd say, Pastor, if I died right now, I am not sure that I would go to heaven and I want you to pray for me. Who's like that today? You'd slip up your hand right now, just right now. Raise it up. Let me pray for you. Come on, raise it up high so I don't miss you. And just sort of wave it at me. Pastor, I'm not sure of heaven. If I died, I'm not sure that I would go. I see that hand. Is there another? Preacher, if I died today, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there another? Anywhere else? Come on, raise it up real high. Pray. Let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that. Who else? Who else? Pastor, I'm not sure of heaven. I want to go. Preacher, I want to go. I don't want to go to hell. But I'm just not sure I'd go to heaven. I want you to pray for me. Who else? Right now, you'd slip your hand up. Let me pray with you. Anybody else before we pray? Anybody? Anybody? Heads bowed and eyes closed. 
Anybody here have somebody close to you? Here you're pretty sure is not going. Somebody you love and care about. Somebody that means the world to you. Maybe somebody that brought you into this world. But you're pretty sure they're not a child. They're not a child of God. Say, oh yes, preacher, yes, yes. I know of somebody, somebody very close to me. You'd slip your hand up right now. I know of somebody. I know of somebody. Very close, very close. Yep, yep, yep. Many, many hands, many hands. Hey, would you be willing to do this? Would you be willing to just slip out and mention their name to the Lord of Lords today? And ask God to save them, ask God to draw them. Would you do that today? Let's stand this morning. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for reminding us of heaven. Father, I pray for these that have raised their hands this morning who said that they're not sure of heaven. Father, I pray that you'd help them to come. I pray you'd help them to come right now and let us take a Bible and show them how they can know that they know that they know that they're going to heaven when they die. God, maybe there's somebody that needs to rededicate their life back to Jesus today. They are saved. But Lord, they've been wandering from the Lord, from the will of God for a long, long time. And today they need to come back and rededicate their life to Jesus. I pray you'd help them to come. Lord, maybe there are those that have been saved, but they've not followed in believer's baptism. Today they need to make themselves a candidate for baptism. Or Lord, maybe there are those who just need to come and just pray for a lost loved one. So Father, have your way in this invitation, please. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Brother Brandon, come on down if you will. Brother Ethan, if you're in here, come on down here. Get in place. If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I want you to slip out right now. If you raise your hand and say, Preacher, I'm not sure of heaven. I want you to slip out right now. And there'll be somebody here in the altar that has a Bible, okay? And we would love to show you from the Word of God how you can know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. Would you come? Would you come right now? Preacher, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you just slip out and come? We've got some fellows up here with a Bible. And we'd love to share Jesus with you. Folks are in the altars this morning praying for their loved ones. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for speaking to hearts. Father, thank you for reminding us of all that you have in store for us. I have not seen nor ear heard. Lord, I don't believe there's any way we can really comprehend what you have ready for us. God, to that one today that's troubled about something, Father, today I pray they put their trust in you. God, I pray that you take the worry away. I pray that you take the anxiety away. God, right now, I pray you'd remove it. And God, I pray that you'd give them a peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, have your way. Have your way. And we thank you, Lord. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just for another moment or so.